Welcome to the Property Investors Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an upload. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Enjoy this week's show and don't forget to share it with all your friends. Welcome to the Property Investors Podcast. My name is Ricky Mandel. I'm Russell Leeds. And on this week's show, we're going to be talking everything about the Property Investors Mediation Service, also known as PIMS. And we have a very special guest for this episode. Um, I've invited them on specifically for this because I thought it'd be great to hear from um, one of the founders of PIMS. Uh, and that special guest is Mr. Russell Leeds. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, you don't do it every week, um, but I thought I'd invite you on this week because uh, Russell is one of the founders alongside his brother, Samuel Leeds of um, PIMS. And this week we thought it'd be a good idea to go through what PIMS is, how it works and the ins and outs of it. Um, so I've prepared, if it's okay with you, I've prepared a few questions. In fact, for this podcast, I was thinking I might even just act as if I don't know anything about PIMS and just ask you questions from a neutral position to so get you, a bit more of an insight. So you're going to act as though you're someone that's completely clueless? I'll just be myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just be myself and okay. um, be completely clueless throughout this episode. Um, and I've prepared some questions. I was going to so, say, you're going to have to do some hardcore acting then, aren't you? <laughs> Let me get my acting face on. <sighs> All right, so the first question... Um, is so Russell as a, as a property entrepreneur such as a deal sourcer or a rent to renter. Yeah. Firstly, PIMS um, and you know redress schemes and insurances. This is all part of compliance. So why do you need as a deal sourcer or a rent to renter? Why do you need compliance? Okay, that's a good question. Um, so in essence, when deal because deal sourcing and rent to renters they're relatively new things, right? Yeah. So. Whenever there's something a new something new that comes into the industry, it's always difficult to how it fits in with things like legalities and compliance, and you have to sort of change. So, what basically happened when deal sourcing and rent to rent came in is they were acting as they said deal sourcers are acting as estate agents, and they said and rent to renters are acting as letting agents. So, kind of the, 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 the generic sort of wisdom and what, what people were saying was if you're a deal source, you're acting as a estate agent, therefore you have to be compliant like an estate agent. Right. And if you are doing rent to rent, you're acting as a letting agent, therefore you have to be compliant as a letting agent. Now, when I was a few years ago now, I actually used to own and run a letting agency. And the compliance in the property space, it's quite, there's quite a lot. It's quite complicated and the, and the repercussions are quite serious as well. So for example, if you're a letting agent and you are not a member of like, you mentioned the PRS or the property ombudsman, you know, you can get a hefty fine. I think it's about 5,000 pound fine. And there's other compliance, whereas if you break it, you can actually go to prison. I'm sure you've seen stories of uh, self-managing landlords that are putting people, in, you know, especially with HMOs and things like that, where they're renting out uh, rooms that shouldn't be rented out and, and putting people in difficult working, in difficult living conditions, and they end up going to prison and, and, and having massive fines. So if you're in this space, there is a lot of compliance. I think the reason for that is because we're, we're dealing with people's homes here. Yeah. And if you're, if you're um, acting unethically or unfairly, you know, it's, it's, it's quite serious. But I've always thought it was a bit weird that when you're a deal seller, for example, you're acting as an estate agent because really you're not actually, an estate agent sells a house. So it's important when they're selling a house 
that, for example, there's no money laundering going on because we're talking, you know, massive figures here. But when you're a deal seller, you're actually selling information, right? You're not, you're not an estate agent, you're not selling a house, you're selling information. So all you're doing is you're linking a, a, an investor with an estate agent who's got all the compliance. So I always thought it was weird that you had to have the compliance to pass the details onto this agent who then had to have all the compliance again. So when you say acting as an estate agent or acting as a letting agent, do you, what, what determines whether you're acting as that? Is it the structure of the company, like the SIT codes or what is it? Well, it, it, it's a little bit gray because it, it, was, a, it was a new industry. Um, but yeah, so if a lot of deal sources would set up their SIT codes, so when they, when they set up the company, they would say the company is an agent, yeah. right? And they'd use the SIT code for an estate agency. The other thing that would make you acting as an agent is the contracts that you use. Because if your contracts, you're, you're saying that you're acting as an agent. Same with rent-to-rents. If you're doing rent-to-rents and in your contracts, you're saying that you are a, man, you are a property manager, then you are acting as a, as, a, yeah. as a letting agent. So then you would have to be compliant as it's a letting agent. Would you say that compliance overall in general, whether you're doing deals or rent to rent, is compliance and insurances and these types of things, are they mandatory? Mandatory. Well, yeah. I mean, compliance, if you're, if you're a letting agent, you're an estate agent, there is lots of mandatory requirements that if you, don't, if you don't act in a compliant way, and we'll get onto what that is shortly, if you don't act in a compliant way, then there are big repercussions, such as heavy fines. And like I said, depending on what you do, if you, how, how badly you mess it up, you could even go to prison. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's pretty serious. So why did you and Samuel set up the Property Investors Mediation Service? So there's a few reasons. Um, so uh, one of the reasons is that we were never convinced that when you were, are doing rent-to-rents and when you are doing deal selling, that you are acting as an estate agent letting agency. Right? So... There was debates and we've been speaking to our lawyers. We've spent hundreds of thousands of pounds with lawyers and barristers investigating it because, I mean, for us, it's important because we do, we are deal sellers and we are renter renters. But what's more important, obviously, as you know, we, we run a training company and we want to make sure that we're getting the best information to our students. That was one of the reasons we were never sure. But the main reason is... One of the ways you've got to be compliant, like you mentioned earlier, is you've got to join the PRS and the Property Ombudsman. The problem is, the PRS and the Property Ombudsman are both, I'm sure, fantastic companies, but they're not designed to look after deal sellers and renter-renters. They're designed to look after estate agencies and letting agencies. And we were having students that were um, members of the PRS, for example, and the PRS, so basically, well, the main thing the PRS does is they mediate, right? So if you're a, let's say you're a deal sourcer and you sell a deal to somebody and the person that you sold the deal to says, I am not happy with the, what your service. I'm not happy with the way you sold me the deal. I want my money back. And you say no. They can go above your head, if you're a member of the PRS, to the PRS. So it's kind of like a, a, an in-between stage before taking someone to court. So they can go to the PRS and they can say, right, we're not happy with your, uh, this deal sourcer who is a member of your service as, as PRS. And the PRS will come in, they'll investigate, and then they'll make a decision. And you, as a member of the PRS, have to do what the PRS say. And if you don't, they will blacklist you and, and, and take you off, which is a bad thing because if you have to be a member legally to, to act as a deal seller, 
and the PRS kick you out, you can no longer deal with us. You've lost your whole business. So they've got a lot of power over you. You know, you really have to do exactly what they say. But they're not designed or they're not suited for deals. Is well, this is the thing, right? So we were having the students coming to us and saying, look, this is the situation. And the PRS have told me I need to pay them X amount of money, 18 grand was one of the situations, even though they hadn't even took 18 grand from the person. What? The PRS wanted 18 grand? It won't wait to, no, not, not to pay the PRS, to pay this deal source's customer. Right. Right, because basically the, the, the customer had bought the deal, spent money on it, and then decided that they weren't happy with the deal. So then that was like reimbursed. All the money back. Right. Right. And the PRS said, you've got to pay the 18 grand, or, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to blacklist you, you won't be able to sell deals. And we were thinking, that, ah, this is like crazy because. They, they seem to, because I don't think they totally understand deal selling and rent to rents, they seem to act against the deal seller, against the rent, the rent to renter, making it very difficult, which is why we investigated this. So we looked into it, um, and what we found was if you use the correct contracts and if you use uh, for rent to rents and deal selling, you are not acting as an estate agent. You are not acting as a letter agent like we, we'd always suspected. Um, so we've got our solicitors to draw up contracts, and what we did was we set up PIMS to replace those services, not for letting agents, not for estate agents, because you legally have to be a member of those if you are a letting agent or a estate agent, but PIMS is specifically for property entrepreneurs that have a rent-to-rent -rent business, maybe they want to, want to do joint ventures, maybe they want to do uh, you know, rent-to-rents, whatever it is, and we will, you know, we will, they can be a member of PIMS and we'll represent them. So what it basically gives any PIMS member in the same way the PRS gives estate agents is it gives your customers confidence that you're not going to rip them off. Because one of the problems with the deal sourcing industry is um, there are a lot of sort of cowboys out there that, mm. that sell deals and they'll take your money and then they'll be unreasonable and won't give you money back. If you're a PIMS member, it means you've got, an, you know, we've got trained mediators that work within PIMS that will oversee and um, and just make sure that you're acting ethically. So it gives your customers the confidence if they buy a deal from you, you can't rip them off because if you sell them a duff deal and then refuse to give them the money back and they're a member of PIMS, you can come to us, we will look at it and we'll say no, uh, you need to you need to refund them otherwise we'll blacklist you from PIMS. Yeah. So it's it's that protection for deal sources and rent to renters. Um, and, and, and what we wanted to do really was to give it to our students. Yeah. Because we didn't want to see our students in a situation where they were being hard done to by PRS, uh, they were being hard done to by the TPO. Um, so we set it up for our students. So for all our academy members, which is our top tier students, they get PIMS membership included for free. Um, but you can also, you can, you can join, you don't have to be an academy member, you can, anyone can join. So can, can someone be a member of PIMS even if they're not a student? Yes, anyone can, anyone can join PIMS. Uh, the website is thepims.co.uk. Uh, anyone can go to the, uh, be that. But if you are an academy member, if you're one of our, our students, then you get, it, you get it included for free while yeah. you're a member. Yeah. Makes sense. And one of the questions that I get, are, I, I'd say this is probably the most common question I get when we're at, you know, we run one pound training programs and people come up to me all the time and they say, I'm looking again into deal source and I'm so, I want us to be setting up the business. Um, and between now and, you know, coming to meet you guys at the advanced training, I need to get everything in place. Do I need anti-money laundering? Yeah, okay, good question. So normally you won't need anti-money laundering, anti-money uh, laundering registration if 
your cash transactions are below 10,000 euros. So I think it's about 8,000 pounds. And that's per person or legal entity that you do business with. Uh, however, if you're not sure, you can go onto the government's website and you can do the anti-money laundering test. They'll ask you a few questions, which you can answer, and it will tell you whether or not you need anti-money laundering. But most deal sources and rent to renters won't need it. Because anti-money laundering really is to stop you from taking large cash payments that you don't know where it came from um, and, and, and processing it through your business, which is helping, let's say, you've got a drug dealer who's sold loads of drugs and they've got cash and they want to get rid of the cash, right? It's hard to get rid of lots of cash. So well, they want to discourage companies accepting loads of cash when they don't know where it comes from. Yeah, so makes normally sense. you won't, but you might do. It depends on your business. And in, in the same way, um, there's other things, you know, insurance, you know, do you, do you need, a lot of people ask, do you need insurance? A lot of people will say, you know, you need to have public liability insurance or you need to have public indemnity insurance to be a deal seller or to do rent to rents. Well, legally, you don't. Now, it might be that it's advisable to get the insurances. You know, there's certain insurances that are legal requirements, like car insurance. Yeah, if you right? have a car, you need the insurance. Legally, you have to have insurance. You can't just think, oh, I'll chance it. Yeah. Right? With um, rent to rents and deal selling, you can just chance it. So what it, what it might be, a lot of, in business in general, a lot of people get worried about the, um, the, the setup. And they spend ages. You've probably seen companies do it with like logos, for example. It's like, oh, I need the perfect logo. I need the perfect website. I need the perfect name. And they do all these things that stop them from actually going out and setting up the business. Yeah. Right? So for me, when I'm training people, I don't want them to get bogged down in compliance. Right? So if you're a PIMS member, that's probably all the compliance that you need, right? And then you don't have to worry about it. You can, what you can worry about is going and finding good deals. What you can worry about is going and finding investors or going to find landlords that want to offer you rent to rents. That's the stuff you should be focusing on, not the insurances. Now, once you've sold a few deals, it might be wise to go and get insurance. But if you're setting up a brand new company and you don't legally need insurance and you haven't sold any deals yet, what's the point in getting insurance? Yeah. Right now. And once you start selling deals, then go and get the insurance and use the money from the deals. <laughs> I yeah, think, right? Makes sense. Um, and a lot of people that as you know start off with deal sourcing, um, or start off with rent to rent, what we tend to see happen is they'll do some deal sourcing, they'll do some rent to rent. A lot of our students will get results with a strategy and then they'll look to scale up and work on other strategies. And sometimes people focus on deal sourcing and they come across a rent to rent opportunity and because they've been trained, they know how to do it, they'll take on the rent to rent. Now, taking on a rent-to-rent and doing deal sourcing and if you're investing in properties, whatever strategies you're doing, you often want to have separate companies for, for liability purposes and so on and so forth. Yeah. So when you do set up new companies, you'll often have to register each company for the PRS and different insurances because if you have one company and you're registered with a redress scheme, that redress scheme will cover you for that one company. Yeah. So if you have a new company, you'll need to register that new company for the other for the redress scheme. And each company will be covered with a different policy. Yeah. Is that the same with PIMS? How does it work with PIMS with different companies? Yeah, sure. Well, that was one of the things that we... Again, because we were doing this primarily for our students, we wanted to give the best service possible. And like you say, we encourage having a separate deal company for your deal sourcing, for your rent to rents, even sometimes, you know, with our developments, we have different companies for each development that we do, right? 
and you want to structure it in that way. So we didn't want to sort of penalise people for setting up the structure of their business in the correct way. And you're totally right. Normally, you'd have to have one set of insurance or one set of PRS membership for this company and another for this company and so on and so forth. What we wanted to do with PIMS is represent the person because we're dealing with people. It's, a people. it's always a people business, right? We want to represent the person rather than the company, which means, let's say you, for example, had a deal sourcing company, two joint venture companies with two different people, and a rent-to-rent company. You would only need one membership. That would cover you. You wouldn't need to get a membership for each different, um, each different company. It's a little bit like an AA. Do you know with AA? Yeah. The AA cover you, the person. So yeah. I've got AA membership. If I'm driving... Uh, my car, I'm covered. If I'm driving my wife's car, I'm covered. If I was driving your car, I'd be covered. If we were out together and your car broke down and I was with you, I'd be covered because they're covering that, me. That would never happen. I wouldn't let you drive my car. Well, what if you were driving it and I was just a passenger? Oh, that's, does it cover you for that? Yeah. Just being a passenger? Just being a passenger. If oh. I'm there, if I break down wherever I am, or at least it used to be, don't quote me on this <laughs> if you join the AA, but this is my understanding of the AA. I'm not an AA expert. <laughs> Right, but as, as, as far as my understanding is, if I'm in your car with you and I break down, you're covered because you've got me with I you. wonder if anyone breaks down on like, the road and if they break down, they're not a member. Oh, I'm trying to think, have I ever seen like, someone holding Would... up a sign saying, anyone a member of the AA, please help. <laughs> please, please pull over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no one's going to do it though because then you'd have to wait. Like last time, uh, last time I, I did break down, um, I say I broke down, kind of crashed, kind of a breakdown. <laughs> Crashed so badly right. I couldn't move the you car. You broke down, which led to a crash. No, I crashed, and the wheel would no longer turn because I crashed the car. So the crash came first. The crash came first. Right, but so I still you... needed help. I still needed. <laughs> right, I still needed help. and and um, the AA took like hours to get to me. Like I, I and I've looked, I googled it, and apparently RAC are even worse. My brother-in-law was in RAC, and he came over. He came around here, and his car broke down. And then he had to go home, right? And he, he had, his home is in the Midlands, so it's like a two-hour drive. So about four o'clock, he called RAC and he said, hey, I, um, can you come and get me? They were like, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. No problem, we'll be with you about 10 o'clock. And he was like, oh my goodness, like, it's four o'clock now, six hours. Imagine if he, and, and they thought, they thought that he was, is that your phone? Yeah, I think it's the uh, RAC. It's the RAC calling. <laughs> they're, they're like, stop telling this story! <laughs> and um, he was like, they thought he was just on the side of the road and they're prepared to leave him for six hours, right? So he waits till 10, 10 o'clock, no one's here. He rings them. Oh yeah, sorry. It's actually going to be uh, midnight that oh, we get what? to you. He was like, midnight? This is like crazy. So he's like, oh, okay, okay, okay fair, fair enough. I'll wait till midnight. Midnight comes, still not here. He calls them. Yeah, sorry. Uh, someone should be with you about 2 a.m. But we're not going to be able to take you all the way home because it's too far for us to go. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take you halfway and then get someone else to pick you up take the rest of the way. I'm just a little bit confused as to why he was here and you're here. You were here, right? Yeah. So did you not just say to him, do you know what, actually just... Stop over here and sort out tomorrow. Yeah, but he's, he still needs to get his car sorted at some point, doesn't he? 
And I'm in bed at this point. What? And he's out on, he's out on the porch just waiting no, for the see. I let him stay in the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't like I didn't like kick him out on the street. Sorry, bro. It's eight o'clock. That's, That's what, it. What, what time will it be at? About midnight. <laughs> All right. I'm going to bed. Hopefully you get it fixed. Now, he was in the guest room. He was okay. He's sorted, right? So so anyway, they arrived here at two. I know because I heard the front door shut. I looked out the window. I, was like, I looked out the window. I saw him walking down. You have your comfy bed with your pajamas on, and looked out the window, make sure he was alright. Yeah, exactly, right. So I saw him walking out, and he, he gets he gets the RACs here, right. So they they took him from here to about forty minutes away, and they were like, "This is as far as we'll take you." Dumped him off at the side of the road, and said, the "Next RAC will be here soon." Two hours later, oh, right? it's now four a.m. Two hours later, the next RAC picks him up, takes him to Oxford, dump him out, and said, next one's going to be with you at 6am. Right? So, oh, it's horrible. So he was like, he rang them up and he was like livid. He said, oh, I'm not waiting. He goes, oh, I'm going to catch a taxi back and I want you, you to pay for it. So eventually they agreed. So he got a taxi back, got back about 7am. Right when you were waking up. So, right, no. You were waking I, up, fresh sleep. Ah. No, I had about another hour. About 8am <laughs> I woke up. So he got back, yeah, about 7am. All from, from 4 o'clock the next day to, to 7am. So I don't know what my point is here. Well, it sounds like a rough ride. So I guess my question is, that sounded horrendous. Yep. And it sounded uneasy, not simple, and horrible. If someone wants to become a member of PIMS and they've got a company ready to go and they want to get covered, how um, simple, how easy is it to get a policy number and get covered? Yeah, super easy. So like I mentioned before, if you're one of our academy members, you don't have to do anything. You autom- When you become an academy member, we automatically give you, give you PIMS membership. Uh, if you are a if you're a PIMS member, sorry, if you want to become a PIMS member and you're not one of our students, you can just go to our website, thepims.co.uk, and you can just apply on there. It's minutes, minutes. But more importantly, because I'm sure the RAC is easy, easy to join. More importantly, what's the service like when you actually need yeah, help? Yeah, what's right? the service like? So I mean, to be fair, we're always we're obviously representing our members, right? But it's only hopefully, hopefully you'll never. Hopefully you'll never need us. You'll get all the contracts that you need because it's very important that you use the correct contracts. So we've had the contracts drawn up for joint ventures. So if you're doing a joint venture, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is doing joint ventures and not using a contract. It's terrible. It's it's shocking. And you'd think, oh, well, I, but it happens all the time. Oh, I, I trusted them because, you know, I've met them a few times at an event. And it's like, what are you thinking? Going into a joint venture on any deal without using a contract. So you get that included your PIMS membership, you get the correct rent-to-rent contract, which means that you're, that, that basically says you're not acting as a letting agent. If you use the wrong contract, then you probably would need to be a member of the, of the PRS. So if you use PIMS, you're fine, you get our contracts, you get the rent-to-rent contract, you get a deal-selling contract. Oh, wow. Um, so you get everything, inclu- you get all that included um, straight away. And then you'll only ever need us if one of your customers says that you acted unfairly. Uh, but what I, what I think is great about it is one of the worst things about running a business, I've run lots of businesses, is dealing with unhappy customers. And you're, you're always going to have unhappy customers. Uh, obviously, you, the better you are, the less you'll have. But however good you are, any company in the world is going to have, if you look at their um, Trustpilot, for example, they're going to have some one-star reviews because there's always some people that are never, ever happy. Can't right? please everyone. You can't please everyone. So however good you are, however good a rent-to-renter you are, however good a deal seller you are, whatever it is that you do, however good a joint venture partner you are, you're always going to have someone that's unhappy with you. 
And dealing with that is such a headache. I hate dealing with unhappy people. I like focusing on happy people and, and good customers. And that's why I want my focus on positive things. But you have to deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, it gets worse, right? So if you get someone come to you and sort of say, hey, I'm not happy with the deal. I want a refund. And you investigate it. There's two things you're going to do. You're either going to investigate it and think, oh, yeah, fair enough. We messed up. That happens. You give them their money back. Everyone's happy. Or you look at it and go, we did absolutely nothing wrong here which is a more difficult situation because now what do you do? If you didn't mess up and you did everything right, but they're still unhappy, what do you do? Well, you've got to go back and forth. You could either refund them anyway, but then you're a pushover. And, or or do, you, do you say no and then they start trolling you online? Yeah. Like, what do you do? So if you're a PIMS member, you'll just say, look, we don't think that you deserve a, a refund. However, we're a member of PIMS. It's part of your complaints procedure. We're a member of PIMS. Go and speak to them. So then they will come to us and they'll say, hey, we're really unhappy with Ricky Mandel. Ricky Mandel sold us this deal and it was terrible. And then one of our trained mediators will look at it. They'll look at the evidence from the customer. They'll look at the evidence from you. And then they'll make a decision and they'll say, look, you know, we think, Ricky, I'm sorry, but we think you did mess up. We want you, you need to give them a refund and then you'd have to do it. Or we might say, Ricky, you were, did absolutely nothing wrong. Um, sorry, Mr. Customer, that we've looked at it fairly and objectively, and we think that um, Ricky acted perfectly reasonable and you're not owed a refund. Um, and then they've got a choice, then they can, they can still take you to court. It's not like 100% you're absolutely um, you know, untouchable if PIMS say yes, but if you're part of a body like that, the court case will look at all our evidence. Right, and they'll, and they'll go, okay, so someone independently has already looked at this, and it yeah. makes it much more difficult for the, for the person. So it's, it's, it's a really good service, uh, and it saves you the headache. In situations where you don't think you've messed up, someone else will deal with the customer for you. Yeah, yeah. Which allows you, again, to carry on focusing on the things you should be focusing on, like finding more deals, selling more deals, whatever it is that you're doing, the stuff that's exciting that actually makes you money, rather yeah. than dealing with the headaches. So if you're a deal sourcer, or you're a renter-renter, and you're getting into property, I would highly recommend, based off what I've heard, I mean, I'm sold. You're brand new, you I'm don't know you're I'm clueless. Like slate, but now I feel like, I feel like I'm a part of PIMS now, it's brilliant. So if you're looking to get into property, and you're looking at rent-to-rent and deal sourcing, uh, make sure you go and check out PIMS and have a look into it at the website, which is? Thepims.co.uk. The other thing I'd recommend as well, on the other side, if you are buying deals off someone, for example, make sure they're a member, it doesn't have to be uh, PIMS, but make sure they're a member of PRS, TPO, all PIMS, so you have got some protection. Because like I mentioned earlier, there are lots of cowboys out there in, in the space. Um, and you know, legally, they don't have to be a member of, a, of, an of an organization like that. So make sure that you check that they are yeah. to protect yourself if yeah. you're buying deals. We always say to our PIMS members, only do business with other PIMS members. Yeah. Because sometimes they'll come to us and go, oh, I bought a deal off this person. And we'll, are, are they a PIMS member? Well, no, they're not a PIMS member. We, and we tell them to well, make you, it you messed up then. We tell them to make it Nothing transparent as well. If you're a deal sourcer, you know, put, we, we tell our academy members, put your PIMS policy number, uh, sorry, your um, PIMS logo and stuff on your um, emails and your website. Yeah, so people can see your part. It gives you some um, credibility as well. Of course. And, uh, and I, would, I genuinely wouldn't buy a deal from someone who wasn't I wouldn't buy a deal for someone who wasn't a PIMS member. It's risky, isn't it? Or I'm not protected. No. They could just say no, and then I'm not going to take them to court for three grand. Or it's the hassle, the hassle involved in going for us, you're just, just going to lose the money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So You need protection.
Are we still talking Pims? We hope you found that useful. My name's Ricky Mandel. My name's Russell Leeds. And we'll see you next time.